0: We come to our sermon this morning and we're looking at the idea of sunrise and the very first thing that we are going to see is this idea of a message into darkness and this is going to be coming to us out of the book of Jeremiah and I need to provide a little bit of background before reading this passage for us and what has taken place as Jeremiah is speaking to the people is that an empire is ending. So Jeremiah is speaking to these people who were once part of this great empire that we saw with David and King Solomon. And this powerful nation has been reduced to absolute rubble. Babylon, the new global power, has swept through the land and has overwhelmed Judah and Jerusalem. Jeremiah is speaking to an utterly defeated people. During this time, one of the biblical stories that is taking place is the story of Daniel. And so, if you're familiar with the story of Daniel and wonder where that fits into the historical flow of the scriptures, it fits right here where Jeremiah is speaking. So, Daniel is part of the young men who were taken out of Jerusalem to be raised to serve the kingdom of Babylon. So, that is why in the story of Daniel, we find him in another place outside of Jerusalem, serving there in the land at the time which is ruled by the Babylonians. As Jeremiah is speaking, though, we find that Jerusalem will be raised and the temple will be utterly destroyed. The biblical period that this is called is called the exile. It is the time of which the people are taken away from their land and forced to live elsewhere. And then they are allowed to eventually return, leading to what we call the post-exile period. The important thing for us as we think of this idea of this exile is that from a theological perspective in the course of the scripture, this period is very influential to what we have in the New Testament. Because this period leads to the hope of a Messiah, this great deliverer, who will come and restore the people's fortunes. And so as we find Jesus arriving and there is this anticipation of his coming into the world, this anticipation of this Messiah, the Christ, this is the one who will restore them to the days of King David. Of course, we know with Jesus Christ, it is a little bit different kingdom than they were anticipating. Let me read this passage for us now, coming out of the book of Jeremiah. And if you need, our passages today are inside your worship guide. And so if you want to follow along with me um, on the scriptures that are inside your worship guide, you're able to do that. Jeremiah 33, beginning in verse 14. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the good promise I made to the people of Israel and Judah. In those days and at that time, I will make a righteous branch spout from David's line. He will do what is just and right in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live in safety. This is the name by which it will be called, the Lord our righteous Savior. This passage is filled with the future promises of God. And so as we were to go through this passage, we would see that there's actually five promises that are being made here in this very short passage. The first is that that God will fulfill the promise to Israel and Judah. So it's a promise to fulfill the promises. I'm not sure if that fully counts, but we're counting that as one of the promises. Second promise is I will make a righteous branch sprout from David's line. Third promise is that Judah will be saved. The fourth promise is that Jerusalem will live in safety. The fifth promise is that this righteous branch called of the Lord, our righteous Savior, this righteous branch is coming. And eventually, all five of those promises come true. As we look through the course of the scripture, we find that God is keeping the promises that are made here in Jeremiah 32. So the first promise, to fulfill the promise to Israel and Judah, well, let's look at the next four. We're going to see how that one comes through. That God says, I will make a righteous branch sprout from David's line. That's Jesus Christ, of course. Judah will be saved, and indeed, Judah will be re-inhabited. Jerusalem, which has been raised, is destroyed, but Jerusalem will be rebuilt. And we see In the next promise, that Jerusalem will live in safety. Not only will it be rebuilt, will it be saved, but it'll live in safety, which is absolutely what we see in the course of the Scriptures, as not only is Jerusalem reestablished, but we see in the book of Nehemiah that the walls are rebuilt, providing safety for this place. And finally, the last of those, this righteous branch, called the Lord our righteous Saviour. I want you to notice there as it says, the Lord, our righteous branch is coming. The Lord there refers to God himself. That is the name of God. And so when this promise is made that the Lord, our righteous savior will come, it points us to a very divine savior. That is exactly what we see with the arrival of Jesus Christ, who is the very Son of God, fully and completely But God. All five promises are coming true. But, there's a but, isn't there? But, as Jeremiah is writing, those things have not yet happened. Very important verse for us comes out of Jeremiah thirty 15. Let's read this verse together. In those days and at that time. Jeremiah is pointing to the idea that these things will come. In those days and at that time, they will arrive. Everything will come to pass, but it will not be in the immediate it will slowly and gradually unfold. As Jeremiah is speaking, he is speaking to a people who are living in darkness. Their world is collapsing around them. What they thought would survive forever has proved it will not. They look upon their temple, which is a place they thought God would dwell with them. they see it in rubble. In the midst of that, Jeremiah is speaking hope to these people. While they may be living in the darkness of night, Jeremiah is telling them that the sunrise is coming. We have promises that God has for us as well. And just like as Jeremiah speaks, those well, promises are things to come, maybe not always things we have. And so perhaps God has promised you something in their life, and there's been people I've met, and they say, you know, God has is, God is really shown me that this will happen. And they find themselves waiting. We also know that God has given all of his children, those who follow Jesus Christ, promises that we have not fully grasped yet. Because we have the promise from our God and Savior that we would live with purpose, and not futility. We have the promise that we will live with love and not hate. We have the promise that we will live with generosity, not with greed. The promise that we will live with kindness, not with anger that we might live with hope and not despair. And as we look at those promises, maybe you, like me, see some of those things that we have not yet fully grasped. At present, we might live in the darkness, but we have the hope that the sunrise is coming. Let's look at our second point for today, and we are looking at signs of the dawn, and we are going to be moving to our passage out of Luke. And so we have here is that Jesus is speaking during our passage today. And this prophecy that Jesus delivers is called the Olivet Discourse. And so it comes through in other synostic gospels. So in the book of Matthew and Mark, we also see it slightly presented different, which is typical of what you find in the different accounts of Jesus that we see in our scriptures. And so in this speaking time, which is called this Olivet discourse, there is a prophetic element and also an ap-ap, ap- I can't quite say the word. Well, you guys know what? I, I, sometimes there's just words that just to evade me. And so we have this um, prophetic element and this apple. What? Someone say that for me. Apple. Apostolic. Thank you. Once I get the word. Right, yeah. We have this apostolic element um, to it uh, as well. And so we see it with the prophetic element. It's this idea as Jesus is speaking. He's reminding them that soon the temple itself will. Be destroyed, But also Jesus as he looks towards the time of God breaking into the world around them in this supernatural way that there is a coming time that will indeed be the return of Jesus Christ into this earth. And as we see this double element of what Jesus is speaking here, what we find is what is scripturally called a double fulfilled prophecy. And what that means is that as Jesus is speaking, there are words that will be fulfilled in the moment. In other words, very soon after his them. But then there's also an idea of which they will be fulfilled again later at a much far distant time. We see verses like this in the Old Testament, particularly as they look towards the arrival of Jesus Christ. For example, out of Isaiah 7, we have this idea that the virgin will give birth to this child who would be called Emmanuel, who is God with us. And as that passage is there delivered in the book of Isaiah, it's speaking to a very historical circumstance that is taking some 700 years before the arrival of Jesus Christ. But of course, as we think of this idea of Emmanuel today, God with us, we find that that verse also applies to Jesus' arrival here and his birth as he enters into this world with us. And so as we see Jesus, as he is delivering this, all of that discourse during this time, uh, it is this idea of this dual prophecy that will be taking place. And as we come and see this prophecy that is put before us, there is much imagery that is used in Jesus' prophecy, the nature of prophetic words in the Bible. And I think sometimes this imagery, it's kind of like God's got a really clear picture in his head of what is coming, but... They give us a blurry picture to try and figure it out a little bit. And as we're going to see, the blurry picture has its purpose and its use. But as I was thinking of what this kind of looks like, I thought, I'm going to give you guys a blurry picture. and I'm going to see if you can figure out what it is. This is kind of what sometimes the prophecies that we get look like. It's kind of blurry. You kind of can make out some things, but we don't see the details of it. And as you look at that picture, does anyone know what that is? This one. Church lawn, church lawn, it is the church lawn. Yeah, it's a little easier to see there once we we take some of the blur away from it. This is how God sees the future, but this is often the message that we are given about the future. And just as Martin was able, he, he knew enough to figure out what was there, right? So also we are given enough of what we need to know. And let me read this passage for us that is coming out of, to us out of Luke chapter 21, and I'm gonna be reading verses 25 through 31. There will be signs in the sun, moon, and stars. On the earth, nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. People will faint from terror, apprehensive of what is coming on the world, for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. They see these things begin to take place. Stand up and lift up your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. He told them this parable. Look at the fig trees and all the trees. When they sprout leaves, you can see for yourself and know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that the kingdom of God is near. As we look through this passage, we see this imagery of Jesus speaking at a time of which the Son of Man will come upon, coming in the clouds with power and great glory. And this is a reference that comes out of, actually, an Old Testament prophecy, the prophecy in Daniel, as Daniel talked of this exact thing. But it's the idea of Jesus' return to the earth. And that is the core idea of what we believe is that Jesus, who lived here among us, died on the cross, was resurrected to life eternal. And then in the course of our scriptures, we see that Jesus has ascended, physically left this earth, but there is the promise of his physical return. And Jesus looks and says, there is a time which the Son of Man will indeed return upon the clouds. And there are signs that will be available for people to be aware and see that this is coming. And there is this hope that comes through that Jesus says that when Jesus comes back, Jesus comes back, that we should stand and lift up our heads as our redemption, our Savior is drawing near. A key point out of this passage is that there are indeed signs for the return of Jesus, that's part of the reason we have this parable of the fig tree, of being able to see. You you can tell the fig tree. You, you can see when it's about to sprout. And I thought, here in New England, we know exactly what that looks like. As we've just passed the time when the leaves have fallen off the trees, and we're going to be looking at branches, probably until April. And all of a sudden in April, you're going to see that green sprout on one of those branches. You're going to know that winter is coming To an end. Spring is finally here. And the temperature outside might still say winter, but you see that sprout and you know springtime is coming. So, also, Jesus is saying there will be signs that these times are upon us. Let's look and read uh, this verse together. When you see these things happening, you know that the kingdom of God is near. This is the important concept that comes out of this first idea. The kingdom of God will be near. There will be signs that that will be happening. Fortunately, understanding those signs, that is a little more complex. But what we do get out of this idea is that God is working through history towards Jesus' return. And we might not be able to exactly pick up all the details. This isn't that Jesus has given us some sort of puzzle to unlock so that we might have the greeting party ready for Jesus' return because we've been able to pinpoint the day that it will happen. But rather, it's truth that's coming through is that God is working through the course of history with an intentional plan to bring about the fulfillment of all things and indeed the fulfillment of the kingdom of God. It is like a good novel or a good movie that has a surprise ending. But then as you reflect upon that ending, you notice that all the clues were there for you. You just, just didn't pick them up the first time. But once you know the end, you're able to see the clues. In the same way as we look forward to the fulfillment of the kingdom of God, the clues are all there for us. I'm just not sure we're going to be able to pinpoint them along the way but we know that the end is coming. We know that Jesus, the Son of Man, indeed, returns upon the cloud. As we think of ourselves in this today, is that our world as we live is currently in darkness. We live in a dark world around us. You don't need to do much more than perhaps get your news feed or talk to the people around you who so often feel despair and indeed as we find the greater that we know people we find that there is just this disillusionment perhaps we all shroud it with these many other things we put on our happy faces but we know there is a sense of despair in the people around us especially for those who do not have Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of their life. but in the darkness of this world, we know that the dawn is coming. The darkness of this world has one solution. That solution is Jesus Christ. As we are here today gathering on the first Sunday of Advent, this is the Advent, the day of hope. Indeed, we have hope that the sunrise is coming. Because one of the things that we know is that the darkness of night always gives way to the brightness of day. It happens in our world each and every day. And as we look to the return of Jesus Christ, we can see the darkness of night around us. But we know that Jesus brings the brightness of of days. We're going to look at our third point today, which is we're going to be living ready for the sunrise. We know that these future events of Jesus are coming along the way. And Jesus provides this message that these things will certainly take place. There are five instances in our next passage of which Jesus communicates that this will happen. This is coming. There are no doubts, as Jesus explains, this sunrise, this breaking on of the kingdom of God into our world. Let me read for us beginning in Luke chapter 21 and beginning in verse 32. Truly I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Be careful or your hearts will be weighed down with Carousing, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life. And that day will close on you suddenly like a trap. For it will come on all those who live on the face of the whole earth. Be always on the watch and pray that you might be able to escape all that is about to happen, that you will be able to stand before the Son of Man. As we come through, Jesus is saying these things will indeed happen. It's coming of Upon us, And we see that there is in this idea of its coming upon us, but there's also a certain murkiness of scripture that takes place. And so this verse that comes in here uh, is so helpful for us coming out of verse 32. And it says this, it says, truly I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. But what does Jesus mean when he says that? A pretty simple, straightforward statement to say, you know, this generation will not pass away until all these things happen. What does he mean? Well, if we were to look at the scholars, no one agrees. It, there's no agreement as to what this means. And it all pivots on this word of generation. By generation, does Jesus speak to the people who are alive and he's speaking to right then? By generations, does he speak to the broadness of humanity itself? And it's as we come and we find ourselves in this unknownness of trying to interpret the scripture, instead of trying to maybe pull out exactly what Jesus means, rather I want us to realize that there is something that comes through in the unclear answer. This murkiness of scripture has a purpose. That is, it fosters the mentality that we should always be ready. You see, if I think Jesus wanted to make it clear. You can make it clear. We saw the parable before about the tree and the sprouting, and that was really easy to understand. And so as Jesus gives us information, that we can't quite put the details on. Let us find what is the purpose that Jesus moves us towards. The purpose that we find here is that we are indeed instructed to be ready for Jesus' return. And we are given some don'ts. We are not to indulge in debauchery or the anxieties of life, but we are always to be on the watch. The illustration I have in mind as I think of this idea is a parent who has a child at home and for that young child, they have left a chore list for the child to complete while the parent is away at work. And the parent goes off to work and that child has the list. And the child knows that the parent is coming back at some point. The child knows that have time to get these things done. But what will they do with the time they have? Will they work on that list that they were given so that when the parent returns, they have completed the task that they were supposed to have done? Or will they fritter away their time using it as they want? And when their parent returns home a couple of hours before they were thinking they would and nothing has been checked off the list. You know, and the child will, of course, scream, oh, but if I had only known you were coming early, I would have started sooner. And the parent would, of course, say, you should have started earlier. You should have been ready. In the same way as Jesus is giving us this advice, he's saying, be ready. The time will come. Be ready today. Like it could happen in a moment, realizing that we've lived two thousand years with a sense of anticipation, but we still find ourselves living in the moment of being ready, making sure that we are checking off the list the things that God has left for us to done, left for us to do. Final thing for us today is this encouragement for us to live in hope rather than despair. We live in hope that the sunrise is coming. We do not need to live in the despair of darkness around us. And we all find ourselves with the darkness around us. It affects us all, no matter the joy you may have, no matter how perky you may be, no matter how big smile you walk through, Life in this world, no matter what kind of glow that you have, and I hope you have a glow that comes from our Lord Jesus Christ being in your life. The evil around us rules us. down. We have some good advice for us of living in this world with our hope on Jesus Christ. And it comes from Dale Carnegie, a man who lived in the early 20th century, kind of one of these self-improvement, self-help kind of people. And wrote the book, How to Win Friends and Influence People, um, written, I guess, in 1937. So, so long ago. But speaking from his perspective how to live in the world, there is a spiritual truth that comes through in his advice. And that's his advice I'm passing on you today, which is this, is to count blessings, not problems. There will always be problems in life. There will always be people around you who complain and want to pull you down. There will always be people who want to throw you off the hope that you might have. And in the midst of those moments, I want you to count blessings and not problems. Because even in the darkest of night, we are greatly blessed by our God. Because in the darkness of night, Remember, the sun is still shining. We just can't see it yet. Think of the moon. Think of the moon that reflects the sun shining. And sometime I want you, as you look up into the night sky, and you see the darkness around you, and you find that moon, and you see its glow, it's a reminder. The sun is shining. It just hasn't made its way to us. In the same way, we live in the world of darkness now. Our God is still shining fully and completely. We just haven't got the fullness of it yet. But there is a time that that is coming. There is a time that the Son of Man indeed does return upon the clouds. Will it be today? 2,000 years of history tells me it probably won't. The hope of its arrival, we have it in the fullness that we have right now. So, as we come and you go out into your week, I want you to simply be overwhelmed by the hope that you have in Jesus Christ. I want you to count your blessings, not your problems. I'm gonna give you all a moment, take a moment to reflect upon the message this morning.